0: you're listening to a message from every nation gta for more information please visit our website at everynationgta.org well again happy new year happy new year and so uh if you were had try new things on your list for 2023 uh we already did that we <laughs> worshiped like we've never worshiped before and for some of you, you're going to sign up for the foundations course this year. So I'm excited for that. Um, you're going to hear um, you're going to hear more information later about how to sign it up. But I'd really encourage every single one of you. Regardless, I know some of you have come from churches and you've done foundations there. Awesome. That's not the same as doing foundations here. Um, some of you've been Christians for many years you think you're beyond foundations. We're never beyond foundations. And some of you are, are new to the faith. And so it's for everyone. I'd really encourage you. You're going to hear some information about when it's starting the end of this month and how you can get involved. We are kicking off a seven-part series called Miracles. Uh, if you're new to this church, if you're new to every nation, welcome. It's great to have you here. We're part of a global movement of churches and ministries around the world and some 80 plus nations. And after the, uh, for a few years now, it's been the rhythm for many of our churches to start the year with a week of prayer, fasting, and consecration. We're kicking that off tomorrow as well as then launching into a sermon series together. And so if you follow any other churches, Nation churches on social media, Instagram, you're going to be seeing a lot of miracles uh, throughout the next uh, several weeks. And so we're going to be kicking off this series together with many of our brothers and sisters around the Nation family, around the world. And so what this series is built upon is um, in John's gospel, John's gospel is very kind of different to the other three gospels, he records seven miracles. Jesus did many more miracles than seven, but he records seven specific miracles for a very specific reason. And each week we're going to be looking at those miracles and, um, and seeing what they reveal about Jesus. And so just like miracles, or John prefers the word signs, Signs, just like signs on the road, they point to something beyond it, right? It's like You don't look at the sign and say, oh my gosh, this is an amazing sign. It's telling you something beyond it. It's pointing to something beyond it. Sometimes we can get fixated on miracles. Miracles are awesome, but it's something beyond that which their function serves. And so for Jesus, miracles and signs, they function to more fully reveal who he is. And so that's why the subtitle is, Let Him Be Known. And so we want people to know Jesus and we want people to be stirred up in faith and trust towards Jesus. And so, John, right at the end of his gospel in John chapter 20, tells us bluntly why he's recording all these things about Jesus, particularly his miracles. And he says it like this Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name, and that could be our purpose. God, would we have life? Would we come to know Jesus through the series? And would we come to know the life that he has for us? And so, we're going to start off with probably one of the more famous or more well known, rather, uh, miracles or signs of Jesus it's the turning of water into wine. So, join me, John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. We're going to read this, we're going to kind of look explore it a bit, and then begin to see what it might tell us a little bit about miracles uh, in the life uh, of Jesus and in us. So John chapter 2, it says, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, "Do whatever he tells you." Now there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding twenty to thirty gallons. Jesus said to the servants, "Fill the jars with water." And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, "Now draw some out and take it to the make uh, to the master of the feast." So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from. to perform his first miracle. Where is this taking place? It's taking place in Cana of Galilee. Do you know where that is? It's a random little town about 13 kilometers from Nazareth where Jesus grew up. Not a big place. If you're going to do a big miracle, would you not want to be in the center of attraction like in Toronto or New York City or London? Get the word out. Where, Where is it taking place? It's taking place at a wedding. Weddings are fun, but a wedding, right? A wedding. It's just a kind of a, a normal, a societal occasion. And, um, and likely this is a close family friend of Mary and Jesus and their family. It's likely that this is someone that they know, um, as we'll see. Uh, probably this is why uh, Mary intervenes um, in terms of trying to help the catering shortage. So whether you're skeptical, whether you're a seeker, whether you're a follower of Jesus... I think we can all agree that this is a a very intriguing and bizarre way for Jesus to perform his first miracle. An insignificant town at a wedding, um, it's largely hidden. Majority of the wedding has no idea what that miracle has taken place, just a few servants and his disciples. And it's fixing a wine shortage. Now, on the list of miracles that you potentially need or would like in 2023, (laughs) I wonder if fixing a wine shortage is on there, and if it is, perhaps we should have a conversation after this. (laughs) Um, Maybe if you're in a frat house, maybe if you're on a college campus, this could be a problem, but a wine shortage? And so to our modern ears, this seems really bizarre. Like, what's going on here? And so hardly a priority for Jesus, right, to fix a catering situation, Uh, So jump with me into our time machine and let's jump back into that culture because they're not throwing a wedding in the 21st century in a city like Toronto or wherever you might be from. They're throwing a wedding in the ancient Near East where the customs are a little bit different to us and importance is given to certain things that we necessarily wouldn't think important to us today. And so weddings like today, like then, were important uh, occasions Significant occasions, special occasions, especially for family and friends. Very similar today. We still celebrate that in a way. Um, I was once at a wedding, and I have a photo to prove it. Um, Now, it's so old, it's in black and white. (laughs) It didn't have color back in that day. (laughs) Chantal looks really excited to get married. (laughs) And uh, there's actually. (laughs) Yeah, that other guy. I don't know. Yeah, I don't recognize him. He was way young. We were very young when we got married. I think I was 24, Chantal was 20. So that's a little scary when my daughter is 14. She's like six years away. From me. No, it was different then. The times were very different then. Just like there are the ancient Near East that we're looking at today. And so that was a photo captured at our wedding. And funny enough, as I was preparing for this, I remember that we had a very similar situation. Now, we didn't run out of wine, but we ran out of cupcakes. Uh, our wedding um, our, our wedding cake supplier, uh, you know, she was doing these cupcakes and uh, she ran out of, she didn't supply enough. And we had no idea until after this sort took of place, but our friends that are at the wedding saw the disaster that, that, you know, it's disastrous, right? You know, ran out of cupcakes at the wedding. <laughs> so they they went to the nearest store and found similar cupcakes and were able to stockpile. we only found this out afterwards. But I was like, "Yeah, awesome, Jesus!" So we pretty much had the same thing going on, right? <laughs> turning water into wine, providing cupcakes miraculously. And so there's a lot of resonance with this story for me. And so, um, but unlike today, weddings then lasted up to a week, seven days. I say, let's do that kind of <laughs> celebration. They knew how to celebrate well. And just an aside, I think something that we've lost in our culture, we don't know how to celebrate well. And there's seasons and times. We don't always celebrate and party, but when we celebrate, we should celebrate well. Celebrate people well, weddings, birthdays, birth whatever it is. There's something about celebrating and, and, and doing it well that's really God honoring. And so this is what a wedding would be seven days long. And if you were the bride, the bridegroom and bride, it was your responsibility to make sure people were fed, there was enough food and drink for those seven days, right? So can you imagine the financial and social pressure on a family in that time? Can you imagine the shame and dishonor, particularly in that culture, if you ran out of catering for your guests? It would be disastrous. It would be a social catastrophe. So running out of wine maybe sounds a bit trivial to us, but in that culture, wine was very a part of their culture and part of the hospitality that you served. It really would have been a disaster. It would have been a social Um, catastrophe, um, bringing embarrassment and shame to the family. And so, this is most likely why Mary gets involved. Obviously, if she's a close friend of the family or a relative, that they want to shield that family away from some of that embarrassment. And so, what does Mary do? Well, Mary turns to her special child, Jesus, and says, another wine. And so, Jesus' response is very interesting. So, Mary obviously didn't know what Jesus would do, but she trusted that he would do something. And so she's maybe seen enough of Jesus, obviously all of the, the incredible miraculous things that have happened in her life in, in birthing Jesus and probably seeing him as he's grown. She's probably um, clued into that if anyone can solve a situation or solve a problem or intervene in a problem in a good and right way, it's Jesus. So she turns to him, hey, can you do something? And Jesus' response, verse 4, is pretty interesting. It says, Jesus said to her, woman... Why? What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, several times in John's Gospel, he'll use that phrase, my hour has not yet come. What's he talking about? And then towards the end of John's Gospel, he'll actually start saying something, my hour has come. My hour has come. And so what he's talking about is is hours is is the self-revelation of who he is. His manifestation of who he is. Uh, Part of the signs... And the miracles is that it's manifesting that Jesus isn't just some teacher and prophet, some social activist. He's he's a miracle. He's a son of God, Messiah. And so um, his hour is the full self-revelation, and ultimately it will be leading up to the cross and the crucifixion. And he knows this. And so um, some of you might also be like, <laughs> try maybe don't try this. But could you imagine? speaking to your mom and calling her a woman. <laughs> please don't try that at home. <laughs> so in our ears, that sounds disrespectful, incredibly rude, right? Right? So please don't try that at home. But again, in that culture, to say a woman like that, it wasn't, it wasn't disrespectful or rude. It was, it was kind of a, just a, an informal way to refer to a woman. But it's weird to call your mother like that. So Jesus doesn't say, Mom, what does this have to do with me? And so in um, studying a little bit of this, some commentators see what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's getting some polite distancing now between his familial relationship with his mom and transitioning into the role that he's going to play as Messiah of the world. And basically what Jesus is saying, what does this have to do in my eyes? He says, do you not understand this? minute I begin to do miracles, the minute I begin to reveal who I am, this is the minute I begin to walk to that cross. And so my hour is not yet come. Which is interesting because Jesus does something. So what changes? We don't know. It's something. Maybe it was just a moment's pressure. <laughs> Probably not. Maybe it was a discernment that this, that this, this is a moment to do something, and so he's, um, and so he gets involved, and so he, he gets involved in a, in a in a very intriguing and dramatic way. So it's, it tells us that there's six water pots there, you know, for the purification. So it was a big. You know, in Jewish custom, a lot of uh, ceremonial laws, and so you washing of hands before and after dinner, something we should probably still do today. Um, and so they'd have these big pots. So um, this is a lot of water. It's 120 to 180 gallons. So one gallon, because I am in metric, one gallon is about 3.8 liters. Okay, so we're getting a picture. So several hundred liters of water. Um, bottles of wine that... We have today, 750 milliliters. five bottles of wine equals one gallon. So just to help you out, the amount of water and wine we're talking about here is about six 600 to 900 bottles of wine. That's a staggering amount of water turning into wine. And so all of this has some purpose to it. Now, you might have been uh, in heard this being preached at certain messages, and a lot of times, and I think you can do some of this, we can draw some uh, metaphorical references of what's going on here. And I think it's okay to do it to a point, but some, for instance, some of the metaphorical references that wine um, throughout the Old Testament and Scripture is often a symbol of uh, God's blessing, peace, uh, and the divine life. A wedding is symbolic. The Scripture opens with a wedding and it will end with a wedding feast. And so we see Jesus performing a miracle at a wedding being significant. A wedding is where a marriage, a union comes together. It's where um, divine and human heaven and earth meet together. The lack of wine at this wedding feast is the failure of us as human beings to provide the kind of divine life that we need our hearts long for to sustain and satisfy us. So we're at this wedding, but there's a lack of the wine, lack of the divine life. Uh, The six pots being filled to the broom is what we bring to the table. We can fill the water, but it still lacks the divine life. Then the extravagant amount of wine that Jesus produces is the extravagant grace that Jesus offers us, taking what we bring and fall short and enhancing that way, way better and elevating us with his divine life. And not just the amount, the quantity of wine is extremely, but it says it was really good wine. Now, for non wine drinkers, not all wine is equal. Okay? And you can get wine, and you can get really good wine. And it says that Jesus provided really good wine. I mean, you could fill you could fill hundreds of liters of pots with like bleh, kind of okayish wine. But he filled it with really good wine, so much so that they recognised. Usually, we serve that at the beginning, and when people are kind of drunk a little bit and they're not so aware of what kind of quality wine, then we push out. And in that day, diluting wine was also a very common thing. So probably, as the week went on, we began to like ration out the wine and dilute it. And so, what that tells us just tells us the superiority of what Jesus is about to bring of the. The divide between the old covenant, which wasn't wrong, but it was always going to fall short of providing the kind of life that Jesus had for us. And now that Jesus is offering us this new wine at a wedding, a marriage of heaven and earth once again coming to be be, uh, seamless in its existence and through Jesus. And through Jesus, he's turning embarrassment and shame into blessing and honor. He's removing an embarrassing and shameful situation and bringing blessing and honor all through his grace. A beautiful picture of what Jesus does with every single one of us, whether you're at the wedding or not. So I think there are ways that you can look at the story and see some very strong metaphorical or allegorical uh, meanings out of it. But just remember that that's not necessarily the purpose with which John is recording, because in verse 11, he tells us why he's recorded this first miracle. Uh, it says this, This, then, the first of his signs, Jesus did a Canaan Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. In other words, this sign, like the other signs, is that we can more fully know Jesus in order to more fully trust Jesus. And so that's what he's doing. And so there is something about this story that we learn, not just about uh, miracles, but also about what God does in our hearts when miracles takes place. And so we'll end off the next few minutes by looking at four things that will set up a pattern, actually, for the other miracles. This kind of a, a pattern a, a kind of, that we see happening in very different situations. We see very different signs and miracles that Jesus does perform over the next several weeks, but you, you'll see this pattern play out um, regardless of the situation. The first one is the problem was brought to Jesus. There was a problem... That was brought to Jesus. They rather out of wine. Brought to Jesus. Right? If that was never brought to Jesus, we may never have had this story. Right? And so think about your life. Are there things in your life that you sometimes like, ah, I don't want to bother Jesus with that. Or don't think it's significant enough to take it to Jesus. I want to encourage you to do that. We love miracles. Right? We love miracles. But not everyone loves the problems or situations where miracles are needed. So that's true about, like, we we want God to intervene, right? But we don't necessarily want to face the problems and the challenges in which we need to cry out and call for a miracle. But Jesus does want to meet us at our point of need, no matter how insignificant we may think it is or it may seem. And so that would be something for you today. Is there a problem in your life right now that's beyond your capability to solve or fix a marital problem? Relationship problem, a work issue, a financial crisis that you face—whatever it may be, uh, why do not you start by bringing it to Jesus? And Jesus, can you do something? Secondly, the problem required obedience. So clearly, the servants don't fully know who Jesus is yet. Maybe they've heard of heard of him. This is this is very early in his ministry as well, right? So he hasn't gotten necessarily the fame that he has towards the end of his ministry. But they certainly don't believe he's a Messiah or a miracle worker, and yet they simply acted in the posture of a servant of submission. And so Mary says, do whatever he tells you. Wise words. Do whatever he tells you. And so sometimes obedience to what Jesus has said is required before we understand what Jesus will do. Oftentimes, our obedience is to accept what Jesus has said, even though it might not make full sense to us before we know what he's going to do. And so oftentimes in our lives, it's acting in obedience before we fully comprehend what he might be doing. And so maybe as you look out at your life right now, or as you look into 2023, where are areas of obedience that God's pulling you to step out and trust him in? Maybe you don't see the full picture yet, but you know enough to trust him to step out in obedience. The third thing is the problem invited participation and this is the one that really fascinates me. And you know, sometimes, oftentimes, I think when we think of Jesus working miracles, it's like waving a magic wand and like, Oosh. Now, it's pretty dramatic, but oftentimes Jesus is working within the realms of what we would normally call the creative order. It just speeds things up. Turning water into wine just speeds up the natural process of turning water into wine. I'll, I'll get to that now. But Jesus performs the miracle, um, but he uses the servants, the people that are there. And he uses the stuff that is there. Right? If he can turn water into wine, he could just put wine into those pots. He didn't need it to, and it's filled. But he got the servants involved. And it's a beautiful picture of how heaven and earth work together. About Jesus wants to work and intervene in our lives, but he's also going to require something of us. There's a participation that he wants from us uh, to to the work that he's doing, not just in our lives, but a participation of the work that he's doing in the lives and the people around us. St. Augustine had this to say uh, about this miracle. He said, he who made the wine at this wedding does the same thing every year in the vines, as the water which the servants put into the water pots was turned into wine by the Lord, so that which the cards pour down is turned into wine by the same Lord. I think what Augustine's encouraging us in there is yes, it's, it's awesome to see dramatic signs like this. But the reality is, God's working all around us all the time, but we just don't have the eyes to see it because we become so familiar with it. Rain falls, allows a vineyard to grow, it allows grapes to grow, those grapes get fermented, and wine is turned. All Jesus did was just speed up that process dramatically. And so how about in your life? Where is God at work in your life, in your day-to-day, that you don't necessarily perceive because it's not miraculous or spectacular, but yet God is at work and wants you to participate and join him. And when you do, your eyes do get opened up to see, wow, God is at work in ways I didn't perceive. And so how is Jesus inviting you to participate with him in his work through your everyday life this year? And then lastly, the problem led to belief or another words, belief is trust. the problem led to the disciples believing in Jesus Now that's a funny sentence to say the disciples believed Jesus. Now if the disciples would they already be believers? yes well what's evident there and throughout the scriptures we read there are levels of belief that it's possible to be around Jesus. It's possible to be a follower of Jesus and still doubt aspects of Jesus. And so for us, for many of us, we've been walking with Jesus for years. This is, this is a sobering thought for us. We become so familiar with church. We become so familiar with the songs we sing. We become so familiar with the words we read. We become so familiar, but yet there's areas where we still doubt Jesus. And Jesus is calling us into an ever-deepening trust in him. Often predicated on us obeying him and following him and putting into practice what we know he wants us to do. And so, God, God uses this to, to reveal Jesus to us more fully, but he uses it to strengthen the disciples' trust and faith in him. God uses problems. God's not afraid of problems. God uses, God it doesn't necessarily bring problems into our lives. Sometimes we bring problems into our lives, sometimes they just happen because. We have an economic recession or a pandemic that just happened, but God can use problems and challenging situations to reveal himself to us and to grow us in our faith and trust in him in such a way that we wouldn't be able to had we not encountered those problems, challenges. No one likes problems. Very few of us like problems. Very few of us like challenging situations, right? Well, what if we could reframe them? What if we could not get disheartened when we encounter problems? Not if, but when we encounter problems, that we could see that this is an opportunity for me to grow in my relationship with God and Jesus and to be deepened in my trust and faith in Him. And as we do that, and as we see Him be faithful and faithful, that our faith grows, not just for us, but for others around us. The other fascinating thing about this miracle story is that the miracle was, present, was uh, asked on behalf of people who had no idea. It was the bride and bridegroom, right? Mary asked on behalf, they had no idea that the wine was running out. And so it shows us that we can also be uh, intercessory in our praying for situations for Jesus to intervene. It's not just limited to your problems, but it's limited to what might be you see around us on your campus, in your workplace, amongst your neighbors, your family, your friends. And so, as we wrap this up, as we begin to set the scene for the next seven weeks, we're going to look at and see how the miracle here is not just turning water into wine, but it's turning hearts to Jesus. It's turning downful, skeptical hearts to more fully trust in Jesus. That we can reframe challenges, problems, crises in a way that doesn't rob us of peace, but gets us to see, okay, where is God at work in this? And I know it's hard in those moments, and I know you, some of us have very real problems we're, we're facing right now. But it's to reframe it and to say, Jesus, can you intervene? Can you do something? Just like Mary threw it to him. There's a problem. Do whatever he tells you. What if we began to reframe our problems and challenges through a lens that sees beyond the problem to the opportunity to grow closer to God and deepen our faith? It may be that the very problem or challenging situation that you find yourself in maybe wanting to avoid or even running away from, is the very thing God wants to use to reveal himself to you and deepen your faith in Jesus. And by running away from it, avoiding it, not trying to face it on we rob ourselves of the growth that God wants to bring about through that challenge. Our greatest problems can become our greatest opportunities for deepening growth, trust, and life in God. That's what Jesus does. He takes it's his redemptive nature. He takes the good, the bad and the ugly in our life, the water and turns it into wine. Elevates it by his grace, his extravagant grace, we don't deserve it, but he does it because he loves us and has come to give us the divine life that our human hearts need. And so as we close and transition back into just a time of response and worship, what is a problem that you have today that maybe is beyond your fixing that you can bring to Jesus? It be a relationship problem, a financial problem, uh, whatever that may be, a spiritual problem, blockage, whatever it may be. Bring it to Jesus. Be prepared to obey what he instructs you to do as you read scripture. How is he inviting you to participate in solving that problem? And then that problem can lead to your deepening faith and growth and relationship in him. Let's pray. Father, we're so gracious. Uh, We're so glad that you're so gracious towards us. Um, So many things we can take from this story, God, just cut down to earth. You're at a wedding. Um, And yet, you perform a profound miracle of grace. You make the sign not just of who you are as the Son of God, but just your heart towards us your extravagant grace to rescue, redeem, and restore us. Um, And so I pray today, God, as we face 2023, as as we essentially consecrate ourselves through this service today, as we enter a time of prayer and fasting, But we're very aware of problems in our lives, problems around us, we're very aware of problems in our world. A lot of them don't seem to be fixable, certainly not by us. And so we bring them to you, Jesus. We offer you to ask you to intervene in our lives and to the lives of the people around us. And we say, God, would this be a year of miracles? Would this be a year of you intervening in the way only you can, so that people may come to know you more fully and trust you more deeply, and that your kingdom would advance? That's our desire. That's our heart. Would you do it? In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.